Good evening, everybody. Thank you to the Selmer Mishpacha for sponsoring tonight's cheer in honor of Rafua Shalema for, Rebbe, for Eliezer Ben Bracha. And Mitzvah uh, Shem, the learning this evening should be as close for a quick and smooth recovery. So the topic tonight is what not to teach children, what not to do. And then we'll incorporate within this what we want to do instead. As parents, as educators, as role models in any capacity, I think we often don't fully appreciate the, the influence and the power that we have over family and friends. We take ourselves lightly. Like Shmuel HaNavi said to Sholem Melech, don't be small in your eyes. I'd like to focus on this evening that there are certain types of reactions or particular response that can do a lot of harm, and it might be natural, and it might be instinctual, and we might at the time think that it's called for and it's, it's the worthy way of, of, of treating or addressing this situation. But in the long run, we're doing more harm than good. <coughs> now, we know that Parshas Chukas, the main theme is the story of Moshe Rabbeinu and Aaron HaKohen doing something regarding the rock and then getting punished, something that was totally unimaginable the dream, their vision, their goal, everything was leading up to leading Klal Yisrael into Eretz Yisrael, and that was taken away within one Pusik. They do something, and the next Pusik later, Hashem says, sorry gentlemen, it's been a pleasure. That's it. And there are many, many different opinions in the Rishonim and in the Achronim as to what exactly was the Chet. What did they do wrong? I'd like to really zoom in on the opinion of the Rambam. The Rambam in the Shemona Parakim, that is his introduction to Perki Avos, where he, it's much more than an introduction, but he goes through some of the fundamentals of Musr and Hashkafa, the Torah outlook on many areas of, of Tikkun Hamidos. How many chapters are there in the Shemona Parakim? There are eight, surprisingly. Let's Take a quick peek here at some of the Pesukim. We'll see what the Rambam has to say. And then to make things exciting, we'll see why the Ramban doesn't like it at all. So the Torah tells us, That Moshe and Aaron gathered all of the nation in front of the rock. And Moshe said to them, Listen, rebels! Is it possible to extract water from this, from this rock? Moshe lifted his hands, his hand, and he hit the rock twice. And then water came out, and through that they gave to drink the nation and their animals. Vayomer Hashem al Moshe vel Aaron, immediately following this, 
Literally, that means, because you did not believe in me. To sanctify me in the eyes of Klal Yisrael. Therefore, you will not bring the nation into the land that I'm going to give to them. Those were the waters of Meriva where Klal Yisrael quarreled against Hashem. A few psukim later, Hashem tells Moshe, Yosef Aaron El Amov, that Aaron is about to die, he's going to be gathered to his people. He will not enter the land that I'm giving to Bnei Yisrael. Because you disobeyed my command at the waters of Meriva. So there's not much said as to what they did wrong. We do have the comment of the Sifri, one of the Midrashic sources on Parshas Matos. Rebbe Eliezer Omer Bishloshim Makomos Balichlalkas Ubalichlaltos. There are three times we find that Moshe got angry, and because of his anger, he made a mistake in judgment. One of those three times is what we have here in Parshas Chukas. Listen, rebels, from this rock, am I going to bring forth water? Is that something I could do? And then he goes ahead and he hits the rock twice. So the Sifri seems to be saying that the mistake of Moshe Rabbeinu was his kas, his anger. He lost it. On some level, he lost his cool, and that was his mistake. So when the Rambam comes along in the Shemona Parakim and he suggests his own interpretation, he seems to be echoing the words of the Sifri. He's not making something up out of the blue. Here's what the Rambam says. He quotes the Pesukim that we read. And he says, That Moshe was slightly inclined towards anger when he said those fateful words, Shimu hamorim, listen you rebels. Moshe got angry. Diktek love Hashem, and Hashem was meticulous with Moshe. Shia'odim kamohu koes livnei adas Yisrael, that someone like him of his stature should get angry in front of Klal Yisrael. B'mokom she'ein roi bohakas, in a situation where the anger was not warranted. So we have to read this Rambam very carefully. It sounds like he's saying, it wasn't just the fact that he got mad, but he got angry in a situation where it wasn't called for. His reaction was too much. This was a chilil Hashem. This was a desecration of God's name. Because everyone would look to Moshe Rabbeinu, Every movement, every word, they would learn. They would try to emulate him. Everything he did, obviously, was the representation. It was the expression of truth. And we want to follow what Moshe Rabbeinu is doing. 
Everyone assumed that if I could somehow follow in the footsteps of Moshe Rabbeinu, I'll have great blessing and reward in this world and the next. And everything he said or did, they would look at almost with a microscope. Why did he do this? Why did he respond like that? And try to learn from every single action and word. And when they saw him getting mad, as the nation gathered around him, so they said to themselves, obviously he's not getting mad on his own. He's not just losing it. It must be that Hashem is upset with us. It must be Hashem is angry with how we're behaving. But the Rambam says, we don't find anywhere in the verses that Hashem did get mad. All Hashem said was, take the staff, go to the rock, speak to the rock, and get out the water and give it to the people and to the animals. So the Rambam seems to be saying, the mistake of Moshe Rabbeinu and Aaron HaKohen that changed their lives forever, that changed their own personal destiny and the destiny of Klal Yisrael, wasn't just that they got angry, like the Sifri says, but it was more than that. They got angry in a situation where it wasn't called for. We find no source that Hashem was mad. So the fact that Moshe was mad was misrepresenting HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That was the mistake of Moshe. The Ramban comes along, and sometimes he's very harsh with the Rambam, sometimes he quotes him with the utmost respect, and as a person obviously he had that reverence for everything the Rambam said, but he also was never afraid to speak his mind. So the Ramban, the Ramban quotes the Rambam, and he says, V'hosef hevel al havalim." that he keeps on saying these things which I don't feel are anywhere close to what's really going on. The Rambam of the Shemona Parakim is trying to explain that the, the mistake of Moshe Rabbeinu was him getting angry, and that's not true, and I'll, I'll, I'll tell you two good reasons why that's not true. Here are two very strong questions on the Rambam. First of all, says the Ramban, nowhere does it say that Moshe got angry. When Hashem told Moshe and Aaron that you just lost it, you lost your privilege, he said, Merisem pi, that you disobeyed me. He said, Lohemantem bi, that you didn't believe in me to sanctify me. But God never mentioned that Moshe got angry, and there's no explicit mention in the Chumash itself that Moshe got angry. So where's the Rambam getting this from? That's question number one. Question number two of the Ramban, he says, furthermore, how could the Rambam tell us that we don't find Hashem getting mad at Klal Yisrael? It's impossible to assume that Hashem didn't get mad. Here you have the entire Klal Yisrael complaining, and when you read this superficially, you assume, okay, this sounds somewhat familiar. We've heard these gripes before. We've been through that in Parshas Belosichah. We know about Klal Yisrael having their struggles the vast majority of time in the desert, unlike most people assume, was actually tranquil. 
It was, it was an aliyah of Ruchnius. They were learning with Moshe Rabbeinu. They were learning with their Rebbeim. It was one long, intense yeshiva experience. Speaking of yeshiva experiences, a special welcome back to Isaac. So, now and again, you had these episodes. What's unique, what's unique about the complaining we find in the beginning of chapter 20 of Bamidbar? This is the new generation. Until this point, the same people who went through the slavery, the same people that, that were taken out of Mitzrayim, they were the ones who had challenges along the way. They were the ones testing Hashem. This is the first time where the new generation, the door that was going to enter into Eretz Yisrael, this is the first time they're complaining. So this is a big deal. Says the Ramban, how could you possibly imagine that Hashem wasn't angry with the Jewish people? He was livid! And there are many psukim that seem to tell us that. The Ramban says that we find in Pasuk Yud Gimel that Hema Me Mariva Asher Rovu B'nei Yisrael Es Hashem These were the waters of Mariva where Klal Yisrael rebelled against Hashem. It's telling us explicitly the Jewish people disobeyed God. Uma Pesha Gadol Mizeh Can you think of a bigger sin, a bigger hate than totally rebelling against Hashem? Obviously Hashem was mad. But according to the Rambam, they did nothing wrong. So concludes the Ramban, I disagree vehemently with the Rambam and the Shemona Parakim for two basic reasons. The first is, there's no mention of Moshe getting angry. It's about him not obeying God and not sanctifying God. And the second issue is, how could you say that it wasn't called for? How could you say this was not worthy of anger? I'm sure Hashem was very angry. So he goes on to say his own interpretation. However, we have a mitzvah to try to understand the Rambam. Now the Rambam, like we mentioned, was not making this up. The Sifri does point out that Moshe was angry. So that's for sure a factor here. We can't dismiss that. But how does the Rambam answer the questions posed by the Rambam? So we have in our lives, every single day, when you have small children, when you have adolescent children, when you have teenage children, when you have children who are in their 20s and 30s and 40s, there are always situations that get us very, very annoyed. And they get us mad, and they make us angry. And we like to say words like disappointed or frustrated, when in reality, I am so, I'm so overwhelmed with anger right now, I, I can barely take it. These things happen every day. It's human nature to get mad, and we all do. We spoke at the ladies' share this past Shabbos, the difference between a machlokus l'shem shemayim, a debate, we're having a good argument, we're doing so for the sake of truth, Versus a machlokah shalom l'shem shemayim, where we're arguing, but it's not really about the ultimate emis, it's about me being right and you being wrong. And the reason why it's so complex and it's so confusing to know whether or not right now we're arguing l'shem shemayim, is this all about the truth, or am I just caught up in my ego, 
is because in the moment I could always convince myself, this needs to be said. And I have to say it like this. And I have to be this aggressive because I have to teach him a lesson. He should realize this is not okay. She should know that there is zero tolerance for this kind of behavior. And then we all find ourselves getting into a vicious cycle where we're mad at a child and we express that anger. And then after a while, we're mad at ourselves. Why'd I do it like that? I didn't have to say it like that. That was probably hurtful. Why'd I have to make it into something that she always does? I know that's not the way to speak to her. Why do I have to make it into a personality issue where he might now think for the rest of his life that he has these major flaws when in reality it's this particular dynamic that needs to be addressed. So we're mad at the kid and then we're mad at ourselves and that happens all the time. If we could wait in the response, if we could hold ourselves back from really lacing into them, bishas maisa, right when it's happening, oftentimes we would approach it in a very different way. I'd be more effective. You would perhaps even appreciate something of what I'm saying versus being turned off totally. But it's because they're small that it's easy not to view them as a human being. If you think of your spouse for a moment yelling at you in a very aggressive way and imagine that they're ten times your height and weight and everything I have in life is dependent upon this person who is, looks like he wants to destroy me and rip off my head. <laughs> That's what it looks like. Is that a situation where I would have the ability, not I as a seven-year-old, but I as a 35, 45, 55-year-old would be able to say, you know what, let me consider what you're saying. That's a good point. I really do have to work on the way I... <laughs> That's not how we function. If someone's yelling at me, and I have that added factor that they're so intimidating because all of my life, not just physically, but all of my, my sense of self, how I view me, and am I worthy? Can I, can I be a good person? It's all based on how you view me. Our sense of self is based on the way I think my parents are looking at me. That's not going to be too effective. The Rambam would answer back to the Ramban, the Rambam would say, we know Moshe got mad, even though it's not explicit in the verses, he did say, Shimunahamorim, listen, rebels. That's not the way he usually speaks. And the Sifri tells us that, yeah, he got angry. Now you're asking the Ramban, you're asking on me, that how could you say Hashem wasn't angry? Clearly, Klal Yisrael, they were rebelling against God. The Rambam would answer back, of course Hashem was disappointed. Of course Hashem wasn't thrilled with their behavior and their approach and how they were expressing themselves. The reason why Moshe was not allowed into Eretz Yisrael, the, the most famous sin in history that held him back from living out his dream wasn't because he got angry when God wasn't angry. 
It's because he expressed more anger than God was actually feeling, quote unquote. That's what the Rambam means. Now, this whole conversation is somewhat elusive because if someone was to ask you the question, does God get angry? Does God get enraged? So you could answer back, well, yeah, we have all these verses all throughout Tanakh. Haron Af, getting very angry. But we know the Rambam tells us, and this is a discussion for a, a different time, a different share, Mirza Shem. We could delve into the, the personality of the infinite, which is a very interesting discussion. But what's clear is God does not get mad. God does not get angry. God does not fly off the handle in the same way that we do. We do that because we're human beings, we have limitations, we have an ego. That's why we get so angry. Sometimes a litmus test to gauge what is my anger coming from? Is it really worthy of this situation? You ask yourself the following question. If instead of my child saying what he just said to me, I saw someone else's child saying that to their parent, would I feel the same way? Would I have that same visceral response of just like, I'm shaking, how could you possibly speak to a parent like that? Most likely not. Most likely it's because it's, it's directed at me, and then that hits the ego, and that makes me mad. Now, HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't get angry like we do. Obviously, Hashem is not pleased when we don't follow instructions. But what the Rambam's telling us, it's such a deep idea, and it's so, it has so many ramifications in our own lives. The Rambam's saying that Moshe was misrepresenting Hashem on a very minute level, but he was misrepresenting Hashem. He was showing more anger than God was feeling. How could, that possibly, how could that possibly be? It must be because mixed into the emotions was his own ego on some level. Even though he was on of Mikol Adam, he was the humblest man ever to walk the planet. But there was a little bit of, of his own anger, his own frustration that he was pouring out on Klal Yisrael as well. That was the hate of Moshe Rabbeinu. I want to share with you a piece from the Chazunish. Read a couple of lines together where he speaks about what it takes to be a Rebbe. What are the qualifications to be a teacher in a yeshiva setting, or for that matter, to be a role model really in, in any setting. Writes the Chazanish that some of the main flaws that a teacher could have is when he or she is not sholem b'midosov. They're not whole in their character. Now, it doesn't mean you have to be perfect to be a teacher. That would exclude many of us. But when there are clear deficiencies, then that's a real problem. And it's a double-edged sword. There are two issues here. One is if the Rebbe himself doesn't have the proper training in Musr, in working on ethics, in understanding people, and understanding himself, then he will not know when do I need to be strict, when do I need to raise my voice a little bit, when is that called for, and when is it not. You're going to be missing that. It's almost like, you take the analogy of uh, trying to toilet train a baby who's 18 months old. No matter how brilliant they are, and no matter how hard you try, it's not going to work. 
But if you have these unrealistic expectations, you should be making on the toilet and they keep on making in their diaper and then you yell at them for not listening to you. That's not going to be a good thing. So one issue is if I'm not a shalim, I have not worked on my own character, that I'm not going to know when I need to put my foot down and when should I let things slide. Students have no clue how many things the teacher actually sees. And it's a strange like blindness. Somehow because you're sitting there, <laughs> you assume that I can't see this part of the room. Now, the teacher has to know when they have to notice and when they have to pretend they don't see. So that's the first thing you're missing. The second thing you're missing is, and this is the crucial point, even if by yelling at a child, by berating a child, by putting him down, you're going to teach him a lesson, and they're never going to do this thing again, they're never going to talk like this again. So on one hand, okay, you were matzliach, you did the job. But they're learning from you how to respond to their friend, how to respond to their brother or sister. They're learning from you that losing it is not only permissible, but if the Rebbe's doing it, and he represents the Torah, this is Torah Hashkafa. This is the Torah's outlook on life. Says the Chazanish, The student always tries to emulate his rebellion. And if I see you doing something, I see you're speaking in a particular way, I'll do the exact same thing. So not only will you be overly harsh with me when it's not called for, and perhaps sometimes you'll be too laid back when you should be putting your foot down, the, the, the terrible tragedy of the situation is, I'm going to learn from you a warped understanding of how the Torah really views life. There's no excuse for that. So we try to bring this idea home into our own lives. Why is my son not into Shabbos? Well, there are many reasons for that. And oftentimes, there are things that are beyond our control. But we always have to look inward before we start looking outward. What does my Shabbos look like? What is my Shabbos table? What do we discuss at the Shabbos table? You know, Jewish geography, and did he hear, oh, I heard that she was married to so-and-so, and his cousin's actually coming from Eretz Israel, and these are all beautiful, wonderful things to discuss. But if this is what Shabbos is, the one time, hopefully we get together more times during the week, but the one real time we sit down and have a special Suda, we talk about nothing of significance, nothing that's meaningful, if we're not trying to, to have shira, the music, the singing as part of the Shabbos table, does it always work with children? It depends on the child. But if we're not doing our part, we can't have any taina, we can't have any blame on them for not being more into it. We're not showing them what Shabbos is. How much do they see me really caring about other people? When I hear that someone's in the hospital, when I hear that someone's not feeling well, what's my reaction? Do they see me doing chesed for other people? Chesed starts in the home, and that's a true thing. But if it ends in the home, then you're not teaching your kids the value of looking out beyond yourselves. Where do they learn chesed from? How do they know how to relate to their cell phone? Every time it rings or buzzes, do you have to look at it? So a lot of that comes from friends and school and other addictions, but a lot of that comes from me. 
How do I relate to my cell phone? Overreacting to a child, yelling at a child when it's not called for, and there are rare times where it is called for, if it's for their own safety or the safety of others, and you have those situations. And I'm not here to preach to you because I'm preaching to myself as well. And that's a trite statement, but it's so true. <laughs> I, I told my wife, you know, whenever I speak about parenting or marriage, I am not coming here as the, as the guru on the issue. We all struggle with this. We all have the challenges of getting angry and how to respond and how to react. But to learn these sources together and to try as much as possible, the Rambam's telling us, this was the chait of Moshe Rabbeinu. It was okay for him to be a little bit angry, but he overreacted and that messed everything up. So what does it do when we overreact? From a psychological standpoint, we know it could crush the self-esteem. And a kid with a very unhealthy self-esteem has very hope for a healthy and vibrant future. So it distorts their sense of themselves. It distorts their view of the yashras, of the beauty, of the drachecha, darche, noam, of the pleasantness of the Torah. But I think here's the main point and perhaps the most powerful point. It distorts their view of God. And that's what happened here. Moshe was angry, it must be God's angry. Moshe, you lost everything. To have a flawed understanding of the Borei Olam could be the most tragic thing ever to happen to a child or to any individual. When we yell at children, we give them a warped understanding of God. How is that the case? So I think we all know that the way a child views their parents, mother or father, to a large degree, at least subconsciously, that's how we view Avinu Shemayim. We view the creator of all humanity in a similar way that I view my mother and my father. Remember a conversation once with Rabbi Goldstein. There was a young lady who was going to the Maimonides classes and uh, she was really starting to believe in this stuff. And it, it was moving and she was growing. Um, she had a problem, though, is that she was getting to the point where it was getting so real, it was scary. The thought that there might be an infinite controller of everything who sees me all the time and hears everything I'm saying and knows everything I'm thinking, that could really... That could, that could freak you out. And that was the case over here. So we had a conversation together. I remember asking her the question, what's your relationship like with your mother? And I was going out of a limb here. I was hoping for the, the right answer. And Baruch Hashem, she said, oh, it's wonderful. We're like this. We're really tight. I share everything with her. She shares everything with me. So I told her, it's a wonderful thing that you're, you're being exposed to this, this new reality. But God is not there to get you. God is not there to listening to everything you're saying to, to hold you accountable for it. Picture HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Picture God like your mother. But we view God based on the way we view our parents. That's true when we make mistakes. And that's true even when we're doing everything right. It says regarding Lot that 
when he decided to part ways with Avram, based on the suggestion of Avram, that he went from the east. And the Rashi tells us famously, the east, Kedem, he left the Kadmono Shel Olam, the, 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 the primary, the, the, the first cause. Lot walked away from Hashem. And he said, I want nothing to do with Avram, my uncle, and I want nothing to do with his God. <laughs> what? Lot, you're a religious man. You were brought up in the house of Avraham. You know the score. You're going to move to Stome and you're still going to be this, this paradigm of Hachnas' Orchim, of allowing guests in. You believe in this, don't you? It's one thing to feel a little bit hurt, and I'm sure he did, that you know, his uncle's telling him to part ways and it's for their best. Okay, so you feel a little bit, a little bit hurt. But why would you reject the God of Avram? But Rashi's telling us because that's how we work. We look either to a parent or to the person who's taking care of me, who's, who's functioning like my God, my earthly God, so to speak. And if I'm mad at you, I'm mad at the infinite. I was very close with this fellow, Dr. Hart, who was a very special person. He was raised in a, in a pretty religious home in Williamsburg, and he went to Cheder. He went to Cheder for the first few years of his life. He grew up only speaking Yiddish, but for the majority of life, he had nothing to do with Torah, nothing to do with Judaism. And when I started schmoozing with him in his early 70s, he told me, and, and sadly we've all heard this before from so many people, that the reason why I had nothing to do with Judaism and I ended up marrying a non-Jewish woman is because the experience I had when I was six, seven years old. Everything was so harsh. If you weren't davening just the way you're supposed to daven, they're going to smack you. They're going to yell at you. I didn't see any reality there. And at six or seven years old, you're not sophisticated enough to realize, well, maybe you know, that's based on who these people are and what they've been through in their life, and that's not really representing the truth of Torah. You can't think like that when you're a child, and I venture to say, we have a hard time thinking like that as adults. If you represent the Torah, and this is how you're behaving as my father, or as my rabbi, or as my rebbe, then it's almost impossible for me not to feel, I want nothing to do with you or your religion. Keep it far away from me. Rav Levi Yitzchak of Bredichev, this is my favorite quote that I say at least once every three months. But when a young man came to him telling him that he has doubts and he's questioning the existence of God, Rav Levi Yitzchak of Bredichev said, I don't blame you. If I had to believe in the same God you don't believe in, I wouldn't believe in Him either. You have this, this picture, this very childlike picture of God. That's not the Boreolam that I believe in. I wouldn't believe in your God. But that picture is painted whenever we overreact as parents or as teachers. That's a scary thought. I think with this background, we have a deeper appreciation of what the Shulchan Aruch tells us. The Shulchan Aruch and Reish Mem and Yeridea tells us, source number 9, Osir Adam Achbir Ulo Albanov, it is prohibited for a person to burden his child with excessive demands. 
and to be overly meticulous with his honor, the way you should treat me, the way you should speak to me. It doesn't mean to let everything go, obviously. You have to have that, that right balance. But don't overdo it. Just because something is chutzpah, and people like saying, there's zero tolerance for chutzpah. It's a nice party line, but you're not going to get very far with that. Because children have a whole lot of chutzpah to go around. You have to know when to address it and when to ignore it. Why is it usher to burden them with my honor and the way they treat me? Because you're going to bring them to stumble. So in a simple sense, this is based on a Gemara and Kedushin, in a simple sense this means by them getting angry with you, they're not going to, to obey everything you're telling them. They're not going to be as much of a Shomer Torah mitzvah Jew. But I think based on understanding the Rambam, and based on having a deeper appreciation of what Moshe Rabbeinu did wrong, it's much, much more than they're not going to listen to you and how to wash their hands before, before eating bread. The Shulchan Aruch says, Yavim you're going to cause them to stumble in their view of themselves, in their view of the Torah and the beauty and the sanctity of the Torah, and in their view of a Kaddush Baruch Hu. This is a michshul. This is placing a stumbling block in, in, in front of the, the child that I'm trying my hardest to be mechanech. I think it also gives us a better understanding of Ramosha Feinstein. Ramosha Feinstein writes in a tshuva, where he's speaking about different approaches in, in education. He says, obviously it all depends on the child, the son or the daughter, their personality and what they need. Sometimes you have to be strong. But then he says, But usually, the vast majority of the time, if you could be pleasant with a sense of sweetness and gentleness, that'll work much better. Because when you speak to a child, once I've calmed down, and I know that although I feel like teaching him a lesson right now, I know the long-term damage that could be caused, so I, I don't, and I keep my mouth shut for now. And I come back a few hours later, or sometimes maybe even the next day, when I trust what's going to come out of my mouth. And when I say it like a mensch, then the yelet is makabel. The child's able to receive what's being said. It's not this person ten times bigger than him yelling at him and intimidating him. They're words that I could accept. Besimcha, with even a level of joy, even though you're criticizing me, Ramosha's writing, but I appreciate being put in my place in the proper way. I don't want to live a world of, 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 of hefkerus, where there's no boundaries, there's no limitations. I need structure. I need you to tell me you can't do that, and you have to do this. We need that. And when you say it in a way that I could hear it, I accept it with joy, and I recognize that you want the best for me. You're not just reacting based on anger. And then Ramosha writes, The main goal of Chinuch, we have to educate children in the truth of Hashem and in the Torah. 
and everything that the child has to understand and appreciate. This is a matana, this is a gift from Hashem. If they live life with that perspective, they're going to have a love and a genuine sense of gratitude towards Hashem, and also to his father and mother who are leading him along this path. So these two things that Moshe, that Moshe speaks about in the tshuva, you read this superficially, they're two separate ideas. One is, you have to speak in a gentle way so they can receive the constructive criticism. And the second idea is to realize the main goal of chinuch is emunah. They have to believe, they have to live with the reality of God. Based on everything that we've established, we see there's a direct correlation between both of these ideas. When I train myself to speak in a calm and a relaxed way, then you have more of an ability to actually believe in a loving and a kind and a generous creator of the universe. Those two things are directly connected. I read a story recently that there was a Rosh Yeshiva, he was the head of the Yeshiva, um, in Eretz Yisrael, in a particular place. And he came to the Chazanish. This is going back to the 1930s or 1940s. And they had a question of whether or not to kick out the child from yeshiva. And the head of the yeshiva ruled that he has to be kicked out. They caught him being Mechal Shabbos before Hesia. He was breaking Shabbos in public. And that was totally beyond the pale. So he said, you're out of the yeshiva, I'm sorry. So why was he going to the Chazanish if he already made the decision? So he was going to, to get validation, to get support. The parents of the child, as you could imagine, were not happy with this decision. So the Chazanish is listening to the whole story, and he turns to the fellow and says, How did you pask in the Shaila? How did you come to this ruling? So I said, I, I thought about it, but COVID Rosh, I really... You know, with intensity, and I paced on it. It's, it's a big question, but I made sure to, to think of all the different angles. The Chazanish said back, did you convene a basin of 23 people? <laughs> and he, he smiled. A, a basin of 23 people? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a mission in Sanhedrin. That when you're paskening dinay nefashos, when you're saying something that will decide whether or not we should kill a person, you have to have 23 people. If you're deciding a case of dine mominus, of monetary law, you can have three people, or even one who's an expert. But if you're deciding a case of dine nefash, this is someone's life, you have to have 23 people. And he assumed the chazanish was joking, but he wasn't. He said, if that's true when it comes to someone's physical life, it's definitely true when it comes to their chaye olam, their spiritual life. If you're kicking them out of the yeshiva, they're not going to go to a different kolel and they're going to keep on growing and steiging. You could be destroying their future. Get 23 people together who are roy, who are able to paskin. If the majority vote is to kick them out of the yeshiva, I'd be on board. But that's how we paskin these questions. The Rosh Hashiva said back to the chazanish, I can't run a yeshiva like this. There are certain things that I have to have jurisdiction over. So the Chazanish said back, maybe you shouldn't be running the yeshiva. So I said, if I have to convene 23 people, then I can't run the yeshiva. 
says the Chazanish, that's not a question of din and afashos. Your life is not on the line. That's an issue of the nemominus. That's a monetary issue. I could pass on that myself. I think it makes sense to step down. When we do something, if it's out of anger, if it's out of ego, if it's out of how does it reflect upon us, oftentimes we're not doing the right thing. Ramosha writes in the Chuva elsewhere, he says that I've already said many times, and this is a famous Chuva from Ramosha, that your children's perspective on Torah is based not only on what you teach them, but more importantly, on how you live Torah. And this is a very simple idea. Being a role model is the greatest teacher. But with the understanding of the Ramam and the Shemona Parakim, it's so much deeper than just being a good role model. Says Ramosha, the classic example is that if Shabbos is difficult for us, because I, I, it's so hard for me to close the store on Saturday, and I'm losing money, and I'm, and I'm complaining at the Shabbos table, what message am I sending to my children? Nowadays, Baruch Hashem, Shabbos is easier, but there are other things that are not easy, like paying tuition. Paying tuition is probably the greatest crisis we have in the Jewish world. But if our children hear too much about us complaining about how, how overwhelming it is to pay all these thousands of dollars, what are we teaching them? If we get into politics, and there's so many politics, Baruch Hashem, Kanainahara, we have to continue to daven. We don't have that many politics here. Wherever you have people, you always have some level of conflict, and you always have politics. But th- there are so many places in the world and so many wonderful institutions where you have people who are out to get each other. And if you're involved with that, and your child hears you on the phone, as you're lambasting someone else for what they're doing and how they're undercutting you, and these are all from the Yidin, all religious Jews, what kind of beautiful picture am I painting of Judaism? What kind of beautiful picture am I painting of a Kodesh Baruch Hu? Says Ramosha, it's when they see us, when we're not just talking the talk, but we're walking the walk, Yashpia alehem, then it has an influence upon them, and they want to do the mitzvahs as well. Besimcha. Vizet sarich kol moro moro. This is what every teacher needs to know, and this is what every parent needs to know. Lahashrish belev v'nefesh hatalmidim. To try to plant within the neshama of every child. Emuna mitis v'ava mesikus letora mitzvos. Emuna that this is true. We're not just doing this because, well, my father and mother did it and, and their parents did it, so we're just doing it also. We're doing it because this is emis. This is what life is about. I believe this is truth and therefore I'm pursuing it, but that's not sufficient. Umasikus Torah, the sweetness of Torah. The Yiddish expression is the gishmak. It's so gishmak, it's so sweet, it's so delicious. Whatever level of, of geschmack we get from watching basketball or football or whatever the sport of choice is, we should have the equal geschmack when we're doing and we're living Torah, when we're learning with them in Mishnah and Bava Metziah, when we're around the Shabbos table. The chait of Moshe Rabbeinu, according to the Rambam, was not that he got mad, is that he, over, he overextended himself. He showed more than should have been expressed. We have to try our best to avoid that. By doing so, we could salvage our child's self-esteem and build them up. 
we could give them a beautiful and holy and correct picture of what Torah is, and most importantly, we could give them that understanding and that magnificent relationship with the Kodesh Baruch Hu. Good job,